0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Hillcrest Church. If you're joining us online, we're glad to have you here. Hope you're comfortable there in your living room. Is, however it is you're joining us. Um, and for those of you who are here, thank you for being here. If you're, if you're a guest, we are especially glad you're here. And, I, you know, when I was uh, a kid growing up, my mom, and this is probably not unfamiliar territory for most of you, but she would always prepare a really wonderful little Easter basket and put some of my favorite things in it. And and my sister would always get, you know, a new, uh, a new dress or something, and we'd, we'd go off to church feeling really Easter-like. And and one of the things that um, I have continued as part of my mom's influence over my life all of these years is that I get a pair of Easter socks every year. So um, I just want you to know. (laughs) Thanks, mom. Thank you. Anyway, uh, we are going to be looking at the Gospel of John today, and I want to read for you uh, a passage that is probably pretty familiar to most of us. But uh, let's listen to it as if we're listening to it for the very first time. If you want to join along, you can uh, in your Bible or your uh, digital device. John chapter 20, verse 1 through 18. 20, verse 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So when she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as, uh, as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? I already read that, sorry. Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him, and she cried out in Aramaic, Have you ever noticed in the last year or so that it is becoming increasingly difficult to tell what is real from what is fake? Have you noticed that? Uh, take a look at these photos that I'm going to run through here, and I still can't figure out how I'm going to do this when we're outside, but I'll figure something else. But uh, look at this. Look at this first photo that I want you to see. Can can you see that? That? Okay. Um, uh tell, tell me whether you think, and it's okay for you to say out loud, we can, we can talk out loud in this church, I think, is this real or is it fake? Okay, on three, one, two, three. Fake. fake, okay, so most of you thought it was fake, and those of you who thought it was real didn't, didn't say it too loudly because you don't want to be embarrassed, right? I, okay, I get it. Okay, let's, uh, let's take a look at this next one. Is this real, or is this fake? On three, one, two, three. Real. real. okay, so most of you think this is a real picture. Okay, and then I have one more. Is this real, or is this fake? On three, one, two, three. Real. Oh wait, hold on, let's do that one more time. One, two, three. Real. Okay, so most of you think that's real, okay. Well, as it turns out, uh, all three of these are real. The first picture is a, is a strange uh, picture of a cloud inside of a building, and the explanation is that if you're a meteorologist or somebody that knows about that kind of stuff, there are certain conditions of temperature and barometric pressure that uh, clouds form inside buildings. So that's what that was. Um, the second picture is uh, a picture of a, a real plane crossing a uh, freeway. It wasn't on the freeway or it wasn't on an overpass. It was an airport close to a freeway, so that was a real picture. And then this last one, the, the boat up on the cliff, um, there was a terrible storm at, no, I'm just kidding. Um, that was real as well, but it was never a boat. It, it was built to look like a boat. It's actually a high-end hotel somewhere in Europe. So if, if you want to go on a cruise, but, you're, but you get seasick, that's the place that you need to book next time you go. So all three of those pictures were real. Interesting, huh? So in this era of, of, of fake news, it's really difficult for us sometimes to, to uh, discern the truth. And uh, even with our, our, the apps that we have on our phones, we can take pictures that are pretty ordinary of ourselves. We all do it. Um, I'm right there with you. And we can remove all the blemishes and, we, and imperfections. And voila, we are a work of art, right? That's, that's the beauty of, of the world in which we live in. And as a result of, of all of these things, there's sort of a growing skepticism, I think, about what is true and what's not true, what is real and what's fake. And if we're not careful, if we are not careful, our, our preconceived idea about reality can lead us to believe the fake to be real and the real to be fake, right? It's possible, uh, a few years ago, the BBC reported about an older gentleman who had just got caught painting fake, well-known pieces of art. And then posing, <laughs> I mean, he's a really, really creative guy, posing as a wealthy art collector and giving these various pieces away to galleries around the country. And when one gallery curator checked this generous benefactor's background, he discovered that this gentleman had given away the same painting to another museum. And when the police went to prosecute this art forger for making fake pieces of art, they couldn't because he hadn't committed any crime. Since he did not sell his fake paintings, he committed no crime. Pretty clever, pretty clever. So how do we ultimately define what is real and what is not real? Because I think that's a really important question for us as we come to this text this Easter Sunday morning. And more importantly, how do we understand the resurrection of Jesus when our preconceived idea of reality is that dead people do not rise from the dead, right? That's, that's, that's the mindset that we, that we have been raised with. Now there are many of us here today who've already overcome our doubts about this because we have confidence in the faithfulness of God, a God who, who, who indeed we believe raises people from the dead, but we're not all there. I, I understand that. There are some here today who used to believe and then you grew up. You got educated. Now you wonder if the resurrection story belongs in the same category with all of those other children's stories that you believed growing up, but now you don't, right? The story of the resurrection of Jesus has gone out the window with all the other fairy tales. And there are still others of us here today who want to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but we're just not quite there yet. You are not entirely convinced that a man can be crucified and then rise again, yet you're here. <laughs> Bravo. And, and maybe you secretly hope that the preacher will say something that will convince you once and for all. And I hope that's true. I, I, I don't know that it w- will be, but we'll see. So let me begin uh, my reflections on the resurrection today by suggesting to you that how we define reality determines what we believe to be true. How we define reality determines what we believe to be true. Uh, let's take a look at uh, some of the characters in this resurrection story and see if this, this uh, bears itself out. You know, when Mary Magdalene returned to the garden tomb, she was. Uh, is this me? that keeps popping? Is it the floor? Okay. Uh, when she returned to the garden tomb, she was operating under the assumption that Jesus was dead, right? I mean, would you agree with that? She, she had no expectation to, sh- to show up there that morning with any idea that she was going to meet a living Lord. It, it was not part of her, her reality. And I say this because she was present two days earlier and watched Roman soldiers fasten Jesus to a cross, drive large spikes uh, through his hands and feet. That is an image that one does not soon forget. She witnesses Jesus' death with her own eyes, and for Magdalene, Jesus was dead, and there wasn't much doubt about it. Mary's reason for returning to the garden tomb that morning was perhaps to pay her last respects, maybe to sort of uh, deal with her kind of last goodbye, or or maybe she just wanted to move on, and that was the way she was going to do it, right? But notice what happens next. Mary's reality changes. When she arrives at the tomb and finds that the stone has been rolled away, she was not expecting this. I, I think it's safe to say that Mary was, uh, uh, was sort of living outside of her defined reality at this point. And the gospel says that, that Mary runs back to the other disciples and the only rational expectation that she had for what happened at the tomb that day was to say that J- Jesus' body wasn't there, so obviously he mu- it must have been stolen. Now, Mary's response, if you think about it for a second, is exactly what any of us would have done would we have approached the tomb that day, right? I mean, none of us would have done anything different than Mary. Mary's understanding of reality was defined by the impossibility that dead people rise. You see, how we define reality determines what we believe to be true. So, Mary tells the other disciples that Jesus' body was stolen. In the world of big data, computer analytics, medical diagnostics, the way a theory is confirmed or denied is by expanding the number of data points, or experiences, if you will, that lead one to a certain set of conclusions. This is, this is uh, roughly referred to as the scientific method. To prove something, you have to make sure that it happens multiple times over and over again. This is happening right now uh, with, as various vaccines are, are being rolled out. And just this last week, one of the vaccine companies, I don't remember which one, announced that recent data suggests that there's 100% success with their vaccine giving a certain set of conditions. So they are continuing to do this, this testing with data points to be able to uh, increase their confidence in the efficacy of this vaccine, whichever one it was. Now here's another more more mundane example. Uh, if we happen to be awake early enough to see the sunrise, that's rarely the case for me, but if we are, we may conclude that the sun rises in the east. But if we want to be absolutely sure that the sun rises in the east, we must increase the number of data points to make our theory more secure. And in order to do that, we have to get up day after day and be awake to observe that the sun indeed rises in the east. So if we're going to try to prove something is true using this method, one simply needs to accumulate enough data of the same event happening repeatedly that one can have confidence that it is in fact true. Mary being convinced Jesus' body was stolen that day, she returns to the other disciples as we read a moment ago. And and on hearing this, Peter and John run to the tomb to confirm whether what Mary said is actually true. You see, they were gathering their own data sets, their own data points. And when they arrive at the tomb, they enter fully expecting to find the body of Jesus laying where they had placed it, but instead, the tomb is empty. Then John offers us a brief insight in the text. I don't know if you caught this when I read it. He, he says, um, the disciples saw and believed. It's just, it's just a very straightforward little sentence which suggests that up until that point, they neither saw nor believed, right? And John goes on to explain that even though they saw and believed, they didn't really understand what the scripture said about Jesus' resurrection. So, so they, they caught a little bit, but they didn't really get the whole, the whole story, So what's going on here? What's going on in this description that John is giving us? John is giving us a glimpse into the change that is taking place in the disciples' understanding of reality in real time. In other words, the disciples had gathered enough data to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And this editorial comment that John puts in here reveals John's understanding of reality is changing now, because I've got to hold the bike, but maybe that'll be less um, distracting. In other words, the disciples had gathered by running to the tomb enough data to d- believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's, a, that's, what, that's what that experience proved to them, and this editorial comment reveals John's understanding. Now, for some disciples, this is all it takes An empty tomb, a pile of grave clothes laying on the ground, and that's enough to convince us of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, right? And for those, just like Peter and John, who have seen and believe, we are not alone in our conviction about this. There are countless millions of believers throughout history who have come to the same conclusion that we have. And yet, even though some will suggest that we are wrong or we are naive or we are intellectually feeble to believe in a God who raised Jesus from the dead, and there there may be all of those opinions in this room right now or online, the fact remains that there are millions of people who throughout time, when confronted with the reality of an empty tomb, they saw and they, what? Believed. But let me be quick to suggest that it doesn't always work that way. There are those like Mary who need a little extra evidence, a little extra push before they are ready to believe. There are some, perhaps here today, who can readily identify with Mary more than any of the other disciples that you read about in this story because of her timidity and her doubt about this initially. So what does God do with the Marys among us? What does God do with those who need a little extra evidence in order to be convinced that Jesus was raised from the dead? God provides as much evidence as we need in order to help us move from being skeptics to believers. But there's a caveat. We have to be honest enough in our skepticism and doubt TO BE WILLING TO CONSIDER A DIFFERENT REALITY THAN THE ONE WE WALKED IN HERE WITH. THAT'S THE CAVEAT. Because if we're not willing to be honest about that, then our skepticism about the resurrection of Jesus is simply a foil that we use to avoid dealing with the life-changing implications of this event. It's like we can hold, we can hold Jesus and Christianity and everything that it implies at arm's length if we don't deal honestly with this question. And as Mary makes her way back to the garden tomb, she peers into the dimly lit tomb, and once inside, she encounters messengers of God, angels, sitting where Jesus' body was supposed to be. And the angel asked Mary, why are you crying? Now, he might as well have asked, Mary, have you ever considered the possibility that your preconceived notions about dead people not rising may not be true, right? He could, have, he could have said that, but he simply asked, why are you crying? And as Mary turns to leave, she bumps into someone that she believes to be the gardener. And she begins to give him the same spiel that she'd given the disciples earlier that morning. And the stranger asks Mary the same question that the angel had just asked her. And then the stranger, Jesus, does something very interesting. He calls Mary by her name. There's there's something about our name that when someone calls us by our name, it implies intimacy. It implies recognition. It implies relationship. There's an inflection in the way those we love say our name that reveals way more than just the name on our birth certificates. When my wife, Roxy, says, Brad? I know what that inflection means. Or when she says, Brad, I know what that inflection means. When I was a kid growing up, my dad, he used to call me BJ because my name is Bradley James. So that's Bradley James for short. And I always knew that it was my dad, whether he was cheering for me from the sidelines or calling my name in a a moment of parental discipline because my dad knew me and I knew that when I heard that name, he was talking to me. No one has ever called me by that nickname since. And when Mary hears the stranger speak her name, her heart jumps within her and her, her tears of disbelief give way to the recognition that Jesus is indeed alive. And Jesus understood Mary's need for more evidence. And I think that's why John puts this encounter in, in the garden. She needed more data points that morning. So he gave them to her. He calls her by her name, and finally, finally, after all of the doubt and and, and the tears and the desperation that she was experiencing that morning, she recognizes him because she hears him call her by her name. Each of us comes here this morning to this resurrection story with our own sets of beliefs and our own doubts and our own questions. We're looking for a savior who will forgive us. We're looking for a comforter who will remind us that everything's going to be okay, contrary to all of the evidence. We're looking for a Lord who understands the challenges that we face and calls us to live with the conviction and faith even when it's hard. Yes, we all come to this resurrection story with our own set of assumptions. What we are yearning for is a risen Savior who will greet us in the midst of our doubts and pain and who will call us by our name. And the way that we will ultimately recognize the voice of this Savior is by being willing to shift our reality just like the disciples experienced in the garden that day. I I don't know what reality you walked in here with today. Perhaps your reality is you come to church a couple times a year just so you don't have to put up with the grief if you don't. Maybe your reality is a high school science teacher or college professor erroneously told you that faith and science were incompatible, so you had to make a choice and you chose science. Maybe your reality is that you once believed and now you're not so sure because you've been hurt your prayers have not been answered the way that you hoped, or you cannot believe in a God who allows innocent people to be gunned down at a massage parlor in Atlanta or a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado. I don't blame you. Maybe, maybe you need a reality shift today. Maybe the reality that you came here with today is clouding your ability to see Jesus who is calling your name and waiting for you to recognize and believe. And maybe you will have the courage this year, like Mary and the other disciples, to, to replace your old reality with a, the new one that God is offering to you this morning. You see, the real miracle of this story is not that God has the ability to raise Jesus from the dead. I mean, by any definition of God, God can do whatever he wants, right? The real miracle of this story is that Mary and the other disciples had their lives turned upside down after encountering a God who not only raised Jesus from the dead, but desires to meet us today right where we are, with all of our doubts and our fears, so that we too may recognize and believe. For, for some of us, we are not far from that place. And if you're watching online or if you're here this morning, the invitation of somebody else who's here, or you happen to wander in off the street, and you until today have never thought about the implications of the reality of Jesus' resurrection for your life, I encourage you to give that some thought today. God is in the business of of raising dead people God is in the business of forgiving the sins of people who sin God is in the business of turning our lives upside down and I want to invite you to uh, to recognize and believe in that kind of God today.